0: Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest needs no introduction, really. Federico Kirschbaum is the CEO of Faraday. Faraday is a vulnerability management company based in Miami and Argentina. Federico, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure joining you in the security conversations.
0: This has been long overdue. Can we start at Faraday? What is Faraday? What do you guys do?
1: Faraday. Faraday is a platform, an open source platform that helps managing your findings. So we try helping uh, hackers and security teams manage and prioritize findings. A big, you know, problem for people is like they love breaking, they don't love fixing. They don't love the, you know, the following up with the security teams. So we provide that open source platform so teams can build and organize their work in a
0: timely fashion. So we tried to put some engineering in the hacking side. Drill down a little bit deeper into what you mean by platform. Everyone calls himself a platform. What exactly do you do? You're ingesting data feeds from multiple scanners. Help me understand exactly what you mean by you're building a platform.
1: So there are so many scanners right now, you name it, you will find a scanner for specific technology and there are great tools out there. So the main problem was never on the discovery side. And the discovery side can be always a thing that you can improve. But if you're managing thousands of findings from different sources, from red teams, from your SaaS, from your pipeline, from your CI, at the end of the day, you get exhausted by so many alerts, and you stop caring. And what we try to do is try to funnel what's important from these tools, let the teams cherry pick, and provide enrichment opportunities to triage these vulnerabilities and at the end of the day have more time to break things so we're trying to build the management side for the teams that they don't need to make it from scratch so yeah it's a platform that you can send your your data we can enrich it you can run it in your in your premise and then you can create reports you can build dashboards you can automate you know the routing for for a ticket in Jira. And we create that sort of operating system for application security teams and red teams
0: you mentioned open source. I noticed you guys are going to be at the Black hat Arsenal there and the the, the Faraday platform is one of the open source release along, alongside another one. Talk a little bit about like the this strategy what's the what's the big picture strategy as a company uh, uh using this open source tool as 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 the hook to get into an organization? Help me understand what you're thinking
1: so um, I would not be in cybersecurity if if not for open source. And when we f- founded the company, we started as a pentest firm. We're doing engagements. we um, were working for abroad. We need to scale our ops. And neither Francisco Amado, my co-founder and I love doing the reports. So the idea was, what would happen if we started sharing the information while we pentest? This idea of seamless translation from hacking into, you know, things that you can understand. If you've never seen uh, the home folder of a hacker, you will see a bunch of text files that only him or she will understand. So that was the grand idea. And the open source side, it was, you know, we could not afford buying a cybersecurity tool. So we grew up from Linux distributions, running NMAP running duck songs, tools. And when we had the opportunity of doing something, open source was the clear answer. And now, a long time afterwards, that creation, we understand that open source, from our vision, it's the fabric of technology. That's why the largest you know, cybersecurity companies are basically open source cybersecurity companies. And from that perspective, the idea of adding, you know, sort of an open core uh, possibility to to make a product, to make a company, to make profit, to give jobs, it is kind of a the amalgamation of all these ideas. And from the consumer perspective, don't get me wrong, I I don't enjoy talking to salespeople. I don't I don't enjoy being trapped in a lead generation machine. I prefer giving you all the tools, staring at the client with all his team and like try it, use it. And most of our biggest firms come inbound. They come from our community version. They have been using it, they have hacked things around and they realize it's easier to pay us for instead of developing and we'll let them go. We don't see their nothing what they do. So the open source from that perspective, it's great. it's uh, now I learned that it's product uh, growth. Uh, but f- when we started, it was like we want other people who enjoy cybersecurity to use us. That's the main goal.
0: Right. You mentioned in growing up in the early days of having to stitch things together on your own, um, and I, you know, I, I started off at the top mentioning you're an Argentinian in the Argentina security circles. I've had a bunch of your uh, uh, peers on my show, Ivan Arce, Nico Weissman, uh, and I've always asked them about you know just the Noticeable presence of Argentina on the hacker scene, the cybersecurity scene, the infosec scene, whatever you want to call it, from way back in the 1990s. And it's fascinating to me that you've always been at the heart of that uh, since as a teenager, I believe, was your start in security. Can you go back to your early years of, I, I suppose you kind of accidentally landed in the security space, but what did it look like? What did the Argentina scene look like at the time in your time, which is, I want to guess, like the late 1990s? Yeah, and you know uh, how, how, like, did you grow up aware of what Core Security had already built and contributed? Where were, help me understand your entrance into this. So I will,
1: I will do some, you now, some disclaimer before navigating into. I don't that. want disclaimers. Tell me like no, just no, tell but me the whole story. this is disclaimer. I didn't care about cybersecurity. It was not security. I never grew into cybersecurity. I agree to hacking, which is different. Okay, how so? Define, define hacking as you understood it back then. Hacking, for me, it is, you know, a way of doing things, a way of fixing problems, a way of understanding technology. It's not the end goal. It's a medium. So when I started into what it was called, you know, cybersecurity hacking, you know, freaking, all that, 2000, late 90s era, it was not only about making companies secure. It was not about that. It was um, sort of a rebellious perspective into the unknown self technology. Back then, internet was expensive, and you want internet to meet your friends, you know, to download software, to get games, hacking... I, from this perspective, was basically a way of getting that for a lesser value, or for free. So when I started growing up, uh, I almost lied for my age most of that time because I was the you know the the youngest in the room, and little did I knew, I I grew around a bunch of people that were a core part of what is cybersecurity now. I met many of the folks that you mentioned, many of our friends back then from the IRC, from 2600 meetings. And I never knew what was cybersecurity from the industry perspective. I started seeing friends doing cool stuff and I wanted to hang out with them. I wanted to learn. And, And in an era where information was expensive or at least from the 14-year-old side it was you would not spend money in buying a book you would go trashing a corporation and get unix books so i start growing up and i start seeing all these you know mailing lists all these e-signs that were happening in spanish or even you know from from spain as well And you never had to leave, you know, the, the, the premise of the country to understand that something was going on. So yeah, if I head back to that time, it was like going to a bar and meeting, you know, the core founders, which by that time they were writing, you know, exploits. They were writing about hacking public phones and they, they were like my, my previous generation of hackers. Um, so growing up and as I was getting into the professional sense, you would start seeing in full disclosure, buck track, all these discussions with the.com.r. Right. and Ryan, you know, you know, we, Argentinians have a lot of issues, ego, it's one of their things. We are quite proud, but seeing somebody, you know, dropping, uh, Solaris remote Oday from the
0: IRS.gov.ar. Uh, account from it was a cool thing for you it was it was like an eye-opening cool thing for you to experience at that time it was like i i
1: need to meet these people i i, uh-huh. I want to see them in fact uh leo pickner which is the one of the co-founders of eco party we email for you know a year until we met and we were neighbors and right. until this day we 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 still do things and we you know get curious
0: about stuff so why Why do you think these guys were doing cool things? What What stood out in Argentina? Because, like you said, you don't have access to the first You don't have uh, early adopter access to the latest technologies. You're working with a separate language. You're, the documentation, in most cases, is in English. You've got to fiddle through it and figure it out. What made those guys stand out? What was it? Was there a certain curiosity that stood out there did your high school programs have a heavy emphasis on mathematics like wh- why did the argentinians stand out so uniquely say versus the brazilians or any other part of south america now i i have different readings of what was happening
1: back then but at that time i was 15 who who wants to be at 15 you know you are rebellious you you don't like Things such as corporations, monopoly, and um, you have to understand that a big part of the Argentinian history happened through, you know, um, the lack of access to new technology. You had economic
0: circumstances,
1: economic like, circumstances. Economic so you yeah. would you would see the impact of of corporations. You would see the impact of monopolies, and. I would say it was within a void because I, back then I, I could not compare it. I would see some Spaniards making stuff. They were using the same type of public phones that we do. And the main goal was getting more information to do more things. So it was sort of an addiction. And meeting people that do not come from you know the intelligence community, people that do not come from the academic circles, it was all people doing the same thing coming from you know different sides of 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 the planet but they were all misfits and i i would fit so it was like i have found my tribe and until this day it's that's how it felt to you yeah definitely and that's one of the main reasons i still do things you find your tribe whatever that is you don't have to be a great hacker, but if you find your tribe, you can find where you can add value, where
0: you can be helpful. And at the time, you, I'm, tr- yeah, I'm trying to get to the bottom of the tribe, like with the creation of the tribe from the very beginning. And I want to fast forward a little bit because I was reading uh, Nicole Pearl book, which shall not be named. But uh, you're you, you have a very standout quote and participation in that book. Can I can I um can I read a, a section to of you course. if you don't mind? Yeah. So Nicole said, I spotted Federico Kirschbaum, who had co-founded Echo Party more than a decade before. And in those early days, nobody was selling exploits to government yet. Echo Party was mostly for fun and hijinks. And it still was, but there were some vast sums of money to be made on the side. And here's your quote. Throw a stone, Feddy said, motioning to hundreds of Argentinian hackers standing within five feet of us. You'll, meet some, you'll hit someone selling exploits. And that's where I want to ask about this uh, perception that the Argentina community, the Argentina hacking scene, were kind of this mercenary exploit creation guys who were selling exploits to governments and who knows where they're selling exploits to. Was that what you, when you, when you, hopefully, hopefully it's an accurate quote, but when you made that quote, was that the perception, was that what the Argentina scene had become at that time? I
1: would say I was an exaggeration from my end i said what nicole wanted to hear um <laughs> in a way don't get me wrong argentina has a handful of really key players in the offensive security like it, there are friends there are people who are year after year making you know black hack talks making what we now assume it's cybersecurity. if you start today you will do not know, but many of those, you know, super interesting things were happening from here, mm-hmm. and many of those things involved the exploit creation for
0: different purposes. For give me some examples of some of the big ones that came out of Argentina that we know about. I mean, some of the the more groundbreaking uh, public uh, offensive hacking research type things. Well, like Whoa. what were some of the ones that you over the time you were the most proud of? So. You know, the asking
1: uh, what's your uh, your your favorite exploit—it's always an okay. interesting question, opening question for any people in, in the offensive side of cybersecurity. I I I have two that I that I always love. One it's one from uh, Juliano Rizzo and Tai Duong. They were they discovered a padding article in ASP.NET, and they were able to basically do. Um, uh, I'll retry read by decoding the signature of the server. So you would basically read you know, the web config and write your own uh, cookies, and you would log into any ASP.NET-based application. And that happened in the context of Ecoparty, where they basically drop a pen drive into the crowd. And you had to basically exploit a padding oracle to de-encrypt that. Uh, specific binary that was on the pen drive. That was, you know, a hell of a finding. It was an Argentinian. It happened at my conference. It put us on the spotlight. And the other favorite exploit, it is someone that I co-founded the company, which is Francisco. Francisco made, um, in, I think it was two thousand seven, um, something called Evil Grade, which was basically hijacking updates. And at that time, most of the updates were on plain http and yeah i know it sounds silly it's 2023 but on the same timing dan kaminsky found a dns poisoning attack Mm -hmm. so you could change the the cache of uh update server in a isp and gets people downloading their binary as the update and that set a motion of movements that even Microsoft was involved in the in the Windows update, but there are so many exploits. You you have to name all the Windows exploits that happened from the core team, all the exploits that are, are from the immunity team. That most of them were in Argentina. You have to understand, uh, you know, Churrasquito from from core from sorry from Cesar Cerrudo, uh, all the exploits from Pablo. Uh, Pablo Sor for a strong Unixes such as Solaris, AAX. And the culture of making exploit happened to be a lot closer to one of the people that created a lot of training, which was Hera, Hera Richarte, who made the ABOS. So anyone who has done some exploitation has navigated through his exercises. So n- narrowing it down to a favorite, it's tough. You have Alfred Ortega's remote
0: open BSD, and everything was one of happening of my from here. One of my favorites. The first time I heard of uh, Hack into absolute software BIOS, this uh, 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 LoJack for laptops thing that was installed. These guys were uh, guys at Core Security Saco, were doing talks Saco at Cansequest, yeah, Anibal, and those guys were yeah. doing those talks at Cansequest many, many years ago before it became used in the wild. So a lot of, I mean, the... the the list of quality research coming out of there is endless. However, let me just go back to the point. There's there, there became this perception though, that Argentinians were the premium exploit writers and these guys were doing, according to the book Argentina was kind of like the hotbed for who knows who they're selling to, but here are the most talented people selling exploits. Um, of course, that's a big part of our world everywhere. I mean, everywhere you go, there's a, there's a, there's a community of folks who are just selling exploits into to wear. Uh, would you say Argentina is at the pinnacle of, of that kind of pub, private sector, offensive actor, PSOE, mercenary type exploit writing team, or we're talking about something else?
1: I think when that happened um, we were in the big discussion of what was happening with cybersecurity, with defensive cybersecurity, we're talking about, you know, who would own and control and create great findings. And at that time, uh, you would have, you know, immunity at its peak, you would have
0: core at its peak. And Both selling exploit platforms, like point-and-click exploit platforms with ODAs and a bunch of stuff in it, like commercial products, right? Commercial products. So my main goal was saying like, hey, you would have this
1: amazing concentration of of exploit writers. But it was never meant to, saying they were either mercenaries or just selling to law enforcement. But their employers were selling platforms for the old companies. And that quote, it was saying like, "Hey, it's full of explorators. Maybe it's not for sellers, but this idea that this could happen, and many folks would come and try to recruit them to work for them. It was something right. happening. And in in hindsight, I was trying to create opportunities for many of them. Maybe if I look back, I have tried and changed many of my views because you know at that time." It was sort of what everyone was trying to accomplish in a way. We were trying to mature the exploit writing into an industry, but we were at the same time creating a surveillance monster.
0: At the same time, Argentina was, still is, continues to be a place for uh, 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 staff staff augmentation of security programs here in the United States, meaning a lot of cheap easy to recruit, easy to access talent down in Argentina, not only in Buenos Aires, I know a lot of startups, a lot of companies are doing recruiting and building teams in Cordoba, uh, building teams over in Uruguay as well. Uh, uh, That talent is still there. Is that talent being used in Argentina? Or is there an issue you guys are having down there where the cream of your security talent is largely exported? Help me understand how that, like, helps or how that affects your own ecosystem there.
1: So I uh, I have said this quote many times, and it's something that I really believe in. It's cyber. We have transformed cybersecurity into a privilege. Mm-hmm. And I think we have this paradigm of, of we, when we were growing up, cybersecurity was not needed in the same way it was needed somewhere else, US, Canada, Europe. And cybersecurity is still quite young. If I'm I'm the guy telling about the history of something, something should be wrong from, from this industry, right? But the staff augmentation and it, it's a known secret, like if you know, you know, uh, all these companies that were in the offensive, they were had, having offices in Argentina, in Brazil, in Uruguay, in Chile. And yeah, the same time zone also helps. <laughs> but it was this immense talent and this idea of being a little bit rebellious. Because in order to hack things, first you have to believe you can. And that mm-hmm. it is kind of a, you know, it is difficult to, to stand with a 50-pound Gorilla like Microsoft and saying like yeah I I I know a few ways that I can elevate privileges or I can create a remote exploit. So yeah, definitely a lot of the talent has been embedded
0: within the U.S. Uh, cybersecurity. It's always industry. been that way. You're saying? Come again? You're saying it's always been this way.
1: Yeah, and we have created a sort of salary for for senior uh, practitioners. That local companies cannot afford. Correct.
0: Which is something. This is, the que- this is the point I'm trying to make here: is that all all your cre- the, like the people, the, the people, your talent is very much in demand here in the United States because it's cheap and because it's too expensive for your folks there. And and I wanted I want to ask a little bit about how it ties into securing Argentinian businesses. Like you have telcos, you have government agencies, you have nonprofits, you have universities, you have all these places that are. Constant target for APTs, constant target for like uh, advanced malware attacks. So the notion that, okay, Argentina did not need security back in the days does not exist today, right? So how, how does your country secure itself when its best talent cannot be afforded internally and has to be exported?
1: Well, you know, a small trick is that not everyone is moved by money. That's a, a strong thing. Uh, I would it's say... a big problem though. Is it? I'm asking the the idea of you know every time that I see there are three point five million missing cybersecurity roles. You know how many people <sighs> you know that are employed right now?
0: No, more than one, no, right? No, there's a yeah. more than one. There's a there's a misbalance in things. It just doesn't make
1: sense. So the problem it's not talent. The problem are how much companies are willing to afford security, and that has been the main problem always. Argentina and other countries from the region have this problem because they, they they wanna be sort of a startup, they wanna be fast, they wanna acquire new technology. But yeah, when you put on the P L and you're spending things such as technology in cybersecurity, sorry, it, it's a challenge. When when I'm mature enough to pay for this bill. But Argentina has found always ways of doing things more cheaply, uh, from the asymmetrical perspective. I think that's it's one component why Argentina has to stand out many times in this place. We would find ways of doing it using open source, using our talent, developing new technology, and there are many many companies that happen to be from here, and they are now you know premium. Uh, cybersecurity companies such as OutZero. So right. I would say the consumption is way less. You you don't go and to RSA and buy every booth. So you try to invest in what makes a better impact. To aFA, uh, some pen testing, some you know hardening, automated. That it's the thing why Argentina tries to secure itself. Instead of, you know, going a full-blown uh, vendor, they try to make great teams and build stuff.
0: And you don't see Do that. You f- Do you feel it's adequate, though? Um, like, for instance, we're recording this on July 18th. The big story now is this. Uh, China has uh, uh, broken into Microsoft Cloud Access Key and were able to access inboxes for some folks. And the big theme out of this story is the fact that unless you were paying for premium E5 Microsoft licenses, you had zero visibility, zero observability into these attacks, which in my mind has kind of separated the haves from the have nots. Companies that can afford to purchase what is required to have a baseline level of security and companies that just can't afford it and are just going to live with this risk. And I imagine in countries like Argentina where there's more of an economic crisis, you have your inflation, you're saying everything has to be kind of stitched together with open source and, uh, and cheap tools. Is it possible at all to secure an organization on just stitching things together? Or is there like a real haves and have-nots that have that have, have made... They have not accept more risk than they should. I don't I don't think it's a tooling issue. I don't
1: I don't I truly think it's it's about, you know, how many Fortune 500s had been hacked this year? They have all oh. the resources. They have all the resources. They have all the best vendors. They have all the sales engineer doing the, impl- the best implementation of what they do. They have a direct line with Microsoft. They have a direct line with AWS. Why they're getting hacked. And it's not because someone is stitching things together or not. It is because we still haven't worked on root causes. We still have, we still see, we don't see cybersecurity as a performance issue. We don't see it as a, you know, oh, it's late, we are need to release. We should think about cybersecurity. We still have the 1990s mentality in technology. Cybersecurity will come last. That's why, you know, People that we both know are trying to embed security as something transparent, not Mm -hmm. as a milestone. It's something you work from day one. So yes, if Microsoft gets hacked, what happens with the rest of the planet? And that's why many people, including ourselves, trying to build what, with the tools, what they have, because you cannot wait for an answer. You cannot wait for an OS to be secure. You cannot wait for someone at, you know, a major vendor will take a flight to Argentina and say, like yeah, I'll, I'll fix your problems. Right. And that has always been the truth for here. Yes, of course, there are multinationals. One of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, e-commerce site in Latin America. It's Mercado Libre, which is sort of an Amazon. They have, I don't know. A thousand people in the cybersecurity team, a thousand people in the cybersecurity team, and they build their own solutions. And that's how many people are trying to detect when they're getting hacked. Seer Trust, I don't know, you you put the, 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 the acronym you, you love, but we know we cannot rely in one vendor. And the Microsoft thing, it's a great uh, reminder of that.
0: I don't want to make you a spokesman for Argentina, but can you talk a little bit about uh, the impact of bug bounty programs on your job market and the impact of, of the availability of public bug bounty programs all over the world on the ability of folks like you and your peers to earn a living from these bug bounty programs? I just had Kimberly Price on the podcast and we had this conversation about, like, you know, the dark side of bug bounties where companies take advantage of hackers and you, can't get, you, doesn't, you don't get paid for dupe. And Kimberly was making the point okay, this thing has created employment in places in the world where folks would not have had this employment. Has that been a, a, a noticeable effect of bug bounty programs in Argentina? And talk a little bit about like the role of bug bounties in your hacker ecosystem. So has Uber
1: created a lot of jobs in a lot of places? The idea of you know gig economy has been a way of new businesses and hacking it's not the exception um if you see the top tens of the back bounty platforms there are a lot of argentinians in the top and
0: they're very active
1: everywhere yeah and you have a lot of upsides of doing back bounty if you come from an I would say a big chunk of the offensive cybersecurity or, or the bigger chunk. They're not exploit writers per se. They are pen testers turn back bounty hunters, or they come from you know a red team training from their corporation or from their own. And that's a secondary salary. So you would need to understand how much that's a senior cybersecurity uh, person would earn in Latin America and how much does a, you know, SQL injection would pay, and it would be almost the same salary. And w- many people start finding out that they would be able to find some some findings in different programs. And once you are in the program, you get you know you're better uh, better at it. You start farming. You start uh, building infrastructure to detect um, things at scale. And yeah, of course, that created a, a big impact. As we were saying a few minutes ago, many of the Argentinian companies were staff augmentation for US European firms that are brand names of the industry and literally they knew there were like a lot of Argentinians in the middle. Now you cut the middleman in a way because You don't have to deal with these major firms. You can directly go to one of these platforms and sell your time. Now, if that has um, created a bigger problem, probably. But I'm not probably the guy to say that Um, I'm. You know, you get paid for all not your time. You get paid for the things that you found. And if you spend a lot of time not finding anything, no one is going to pay for your time. So it, it's um, I, I always like doing this joke. Many of the my friends who are in the back bounty industry they don't like it, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is like the only fans you know, you see all these persons selling pictures of their feet or whatever, and they do millions, but it's only a small percentage of what's really happening. So I don't know exactly the metrics, but there are a lot of people who want to live with the freedoms of being a back bounty hunter with the marketing that back bounty platforms bring to the table saying, like, you are the best hacker in the planet and give you awards like winning a UFC fight. But you don't showcase how many people are trying, and most of them might not succeed so yeah there is aspirational there is an aspirational uh, track that would disrupt a company if you if everyone would be winning right but i would say the winning it's concentrated in some groups that are way smaller than we think
0: We've spent the majority of this talking about Argentina's contribution to security, hacking, cyber security, whatever you want to call it. But you know what? I, I was just in Buenos Aires last year and I spent a lot of time with you and your peers there, you know, talking about your country and the history and all this stuff. Because it's fascinating to me. It might be boring, the audience, but it's fascinating to me. And there's a little thing that I, I always feel, I get a sense that you guys don't feel like you truly belong to a bigger thing you feel kind of left out marginalized not necessarily a part of the hacking community now echo party is a brand name in the industry uh we've we've established that a lot of companies go down there and raid for talent cheap talent bug bounty programs raid for talent and so on but at the same time i've i always felt like argentinians have this i don't want to call it an inferiority conflict complex but they have this they they've feel like they don't belong and they feel like they're fighting an uphill battle. Is that a fair assessment? And help me understand your own experience with this.
1: <sighs> I, I I don't think if we are feeling left out. I think we, we wanna be part of the conversation. Uh, I think we 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 do our best to try to belong what it's normally a US centric conversation.
0: That you, you feel that you feel that the conversation is US centric. That's I think that's the question I was trying to ask. If does security feel to you guys are there that it's very US centric and, and how like how how does that manifest itself? Like what does that look like? What does US centric look like in practice? Um
1: most people don't know that core was Argentine. That's a great example. I
0: don't think that's a fair example, Do I think everyone Everyone I know knew that Core is an Argentinian company. The question is, though, why haven't there been a successful big Argentinian company to IPO or sell, uh, you know, a billion dollar Argentinian security company? That's a good question.
1: No, there is. It's out zero. And they got bought by Okta for 6,500 millions. So okay, that's,
0: so there's one.
1: There, and it's the biggest exit in history of cybersecurity, which I found quite appealing. Um to, to be honest, you know, Argentinians love to and ask any Brazilian, you know, we're loud, We want to be part <laughs> of anything. You see me, you see me arrive, and I'll be shouting, You see me with a fellow Argentinians. We will be trying to do our best to be the best. There is a, a ego thing in, in our nature. That's why we're love. That's why we're hate. But back to reality, back to cybersecurity. I think when you watch the threats of Ivan Arsif fighting, you know, MSRC, when you had, you know, Beto doing in packet for so long, being a, a key part of many red team exercises and even companies. Uh, I think we we are looking in a way to have impact in, in our time because it's not it's not a year. It has been 25 years in the making of, of this industry. Eco Party has been, and I always love this side of things. Eco Party for me was a way of creating a stage for, for the talent that was already here. It was not because of us that hackers started appearing. We just set the opportunity so people can come down and watch. We created the right excuse at the right time. Um, Ivan Arce one, one time wrote, hacking from the ass of the world. Like geographically, Argentina, it's way under the map. It's not in, in, it's in a not geographical position, but it has influenced the the industry so much that sometimes we would love to be way more integrated to the team. When you're talking about, you know, Hall of Fame hackers, you mainly see US based, but you don't see Europeans. You don't see Latin Americans. You don't see Asians. And I think a big part of our industry, which is US-centric, has praised and involved a lot of marketing of uh, of the US hackers. And I think everyone who is not from there would say, yeah, up to a point, we have great things. We are still offering great things. And I think as any contributor from this industry, We would love to to be joined and be represented in other sides than in our own country you know like how many argentinians are in the black hat review board right and it's not a call out for for black hat but it's it's a way of understanding what's our role as industry uh members in this in this place. Are we just the guys that work for cheap? That's, that's all.
0: That's, that's what it's going to say in all LinkedIn. We work cheaper. Is that what, is that what you feel? Is that what you feel? Is that, cause no. that's, that's what I was sensing there. I, I mean, it wasn't part of our, our detailed part of the conversation, but I remember coming away from there feeling like, oh, these guys feel left out. Is that fair? I wouldn't say we're, feel left out. I think we
1: want to do more. I, I think we are eager to to showcase our talent. I think we're eager to, to make more opportunities over here. I think talent is here. We need more opportunities. That's why there are these centers in Cordoba. That's why you have all over a bunch of people working for abroad. Yes, that creates a lot of problems internally. Yes, that creates a breach between local talent and talent that is working for abroad. But at the end of the day, I think when we're talking about hacking, when we're talking about reverse engineering, cracking, all these things, there are a lot of things that happen in the ground. And I think any any of us would love to see some recognitions for
0: our peers. Thank you very much, fedi As usual, it's always a pleasure to have uh, some time with you. Come back on the podcast whenever. Thank you, Ryan, for your time. And yeah, I'm gonna leave Hackett.